Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. And my goodness, it's game week, so it's going to be all football. Uh, No offense to basketball, but we're going to put that on hold because in just a couple days, Michigan will take on Florida and the offseason talk will end and we will have real, actual football before our very eyes. I'm your host, Zach Shaw, Steve Lorenz, and Isaiah Hull on the phone lines with me. We're going back to our normal format, so it'll be about 50 minutes today. Not going to be one of those special prediction ones that we had last week or or the, the position grades that we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, had great traffic on both of those, though. I mean, this podcast, we, we really appreciate our listeners uh, helping it kind of take off. You know, not to brag, but it's it's doing quite well. Uh, and if you would like to advertise, of course, our inboxes are open. Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. New format, going to have a few questions and answers to start. Then a little bit of recruiting, less today than usual. We'll have more as the fall goes on. Then we're going to talk about some key storylines about this upcoming week's opponent. In this case, it's Florida. And then we make our predictions. So you have to stay tuned for that. Should be fun. Looking forward to it. And we'll start with a question. This one comes from Baez Azul 97 said, What do you see as the biggest trap game on Michigan's schedule this year? Aside from Florida, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, all of whom are top 15 teams, Michigan's schedule, Michigan should be a favorite to win the others. Is there a team on Michigan's schedule that everyone is underrating or presents a matchup problem or that falls in between other big games that you think may, may be a problem? And that's it's an interesting question because I think just about everyone I've talked to uh, in the media world, you know, they think that there are going to be eight pretty much automatic wins. Uh, but as, as everyone who's ever watched college football knows, that's statistically really, really, really rare. Uh, Isaiah, will let you go first. What game should Michigan fans be a little bit more worried about than you think they are? Well, I think uh, that Minnesota game is the one that I have circled as kind of watch out, considering, you know, yeah, they're going to be, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. Michigan didn't face them last year when they went 9-3 and three in the regular season with, uh, with uh, Tracy Clays at the helm. But P.J. Fleck is kind of, uh, kind of like a mini Harbaugh in a lot of ways. Uh, Jim Trestle, disciple. Uh, I think he's definitely going to improve that team. It just might not show in the record right off the bat. And we saw what happened a couple couple years ago uh, when it was a Tracy Clay's coached team. You know, yeah, it took a lot of uh, little miraculous moments to get uh, to get Minnesota up ahead of Michigan. But then once they were ahead, it kind of seemed like they weren't going to relinquish it. Uh, they have that kind of talent. They do lose a couple guys like Mitch Leidner and Drew Rolitarski. But I think that, that that could be a team that comes in hungry, and they're going to be believing in themselves because uh, P.J. Flex going to have them ready, and that's a game that Michigan shouldn't overlook it. A uh, couple, couple times it seems like Michigan had, and uh, Minnesota either won outright or had them on the ropes uh, in the past. So that is a rivalry game. People shouldn't forget that. I think they'll, uh, they could be a scary team. And, Steve, you have a different one, but another November one. You know, that November there's Wisconsin and Ohio State. But there's two other opponents. Isaiah mentioned one, uh, and and you've got Maryland as your trap game, right? Yeah. So Isaiah talked about the last time Michigan played Minnesota again with Tracy Clays as the head coach, and what kind of situation was that? It was a night game on the road against a decent opponent. I think Maryland's going to be a decent opponent, and Michigan's playing them in a night game on the road. So I think that's kind of where I'm leaning for my trap game. I think Maryland's going to be able to run the ball really well. Uh, Pigrome is a true dual threat quarterback. Uh, Michigan's done okay against those guys, uh, but it can be a struggle. You know, there's, you never know with those types of guys, what they're able to do. I think Maryland's got a shot to beat Texas this weekend, to be honest with you. Uh, Texas obviously always has a lot of hype, but uh, you know, if I'm Maryland, I think that's a big opportunity for that program. Uh, and I think they're going to play a, a really good game. So, uh, you know, what if, if, what if Maryland wins that game could catapult them into a pretty decent season. So, uh, I think Maryland, is probably the trap game I would choose. Uh, there are a few on there, though. I, I think Minnesota does fit the bill to an extent. Uh, I like P.J. Fleck. I'd, putting him in Harbaugh in the same sentence right now I think is a little uh, overreaching, but uh, but I think he's definitely the, the type of guy that can build a, what I would refer to or call a boring program over the last, like, whoever knows how yeah. long. So <laughs> Decades, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been boring. Mini Harbaugh, there, by the way. Not, not, which is, not full Harbaugh, what? mini Harbaugh. 
Yeah, yeah I it's think too it's bad fair. that it's similar. The Minneapolis, the Twin Cities area is a really nice place too. I'm, you know, I know it's cold up there, but uh, you know, I'm always surprised Minnesota didn't recruit maybe a little bit better than they have. Uh, I think Fleck will take full advantage of all that stuff. But oh, he's uh, such a good but, yeah, fit I'm, there. Yeah. I'm going with Maryland. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think both of those are number two, and number three on my list. I'm a little skeptical of how complete of a team Maryland is yet. I mean, obviously everyone knows they recruited a top 20 class last year. They're probably going to do something similar this year. It's just, it just, there's too many holes. Minnesota, I think Minnesota is, is very much a, a big trap game, especially since looking at Minnesota's schedule, they could easily be 8-0, 7-1 entering that game and, and actually believe in themselves a little bit. Uh, and and I think Fleck is such a great fit there. I mean, I, I I think Big Ten West fans that aren't Minnesota should probably be waiting for someone bigger to come along and take him away because you're right with the Twin Cities and uh, a a program that's like getting a lot of new facilities all of a sudden uh, certainly could do some damage. My trap game, it, another one in 2015 that that things got a little hairy in the Indiana game. I think people kind of dismissed that 20 to 10 win where Michigan kind of looked sluggish. I think people kind of dismissed it a little too much on it being O'Corn in the snow. I think Indiana actually has a really good defense and it has a, you know, T Gray scales, Richard font. Uh, they need some help on the defensive line. Uh, they lost a few pieces and need to need to be better, but you know, that's, that's actually a real defense and we'll see what the offense looks like. Switching from Kevin Wilson to Mike DeBoard, which is, uh, you know, a bit of a transition. We'll say that. I, I'm very curious when they play Ohio State tonight. Although some of our I was just going to say, what yeah. do you what do you think about Ohio State Indiana tonight? Then I mean, see, you know how I feel about know. Ohio State. I think Ohio State's borderline right. untouchable for most Good. of the season. But not a bad first test though. Yeah, really. well, and, and and on offense they've got. I mean, the one thing that your two trap games did not have is a legitimate quarterback i mean tyrell pigrome and i'm not sure who nick rota maybe for minnesota uh but indiana's actually got someone you know richard lego and they've got arguably two of the top five big 10 wide receivers simi Cobbs, nick westbrook uh they need to find a running game i mean they have a i've i did not see a big 10 team with so few options at running back uh, as, as indiana but you know they've got a few weeks to figure it out they get Michigan and Bloomington, so that's that's my choice. But I think all three are games that people are not realizing could be a lot closer. And I think they, they you know, this I don't think Michigan's going to have what it had last fall, where it's blowing out just about every team. I mean, those numbers were ridiculous when they were beating Maryland fifty nine three, Illinois what forty nine to eight, or you know, it's just it almost got old after a while. I don't think it's going to be the case this year. I think it'll be a little bit more exciting. And we'll keep it in the Big Ten for now. This one comes from Star Fox, and it's about to go down because this has been a point of contention on our boards. I, I've been doing a lot of Big Ten previews, previewing other teams. Uh, shout out to Moon. He seems to be the biggest naysayer of this team. But Star Fox yeah, doesn't asks, think, isn't he the one that doesn't think that Trace McSorley is a top three quarterback in the Big Ten? Like if you just actually literally read the list of quarterbacks in the Big Ten, no, he, how on earth do you not play? It wasn't even the Big Ten. It was it was of Michigan's opponents. So you can take out Clay Thorson. You can take out um, yeah, uh, who yep. I, Tanner, Lee. Tanner Lee. Like he, Yeah. Oh, well, we're not going to go into that because he, Star Fox wants to know, Comical. when will you guys stop taking Penn State seriously just like the rest of us? And Isaiah, I will let you be the counterpoint in just a moment. Um, but, but I will answer my end. I will stop taking Penn State seriously when they – lose to an unranked team, which, by the way, just for the record, I, I ranked Penn State second in the Big Ten Power Rankings, our first rendition earlier this week. I don't think they're going to end up there. I actually think that they might lose two or three games, but on paper, entering the season, there was not a better team than Penn State than Ohio State. They return the bulk of their talent. Saquon Barkley Steve, you'll get to this. He's the best player in the Big Ten. And in you know, the defense, they do lose, you know, Brandon Bell, a couple players on the defensive line, but Jason Cabinda, Marcus Allen, uh, you know, they've got great special teams, arguably the best special teams in the Big Ten. And then that offense, I mean, it's not like it's going away. I understand, you know, maybe you don't 
land 75% of your 50-50 balls. You know, maybe maybe you don't get to do quite as many Hail Marys, but there is something to it. Like it wasn't it wasn't completely luck. You know, they beat Wisconsin worse than Michigan beat Wisconsin. They beat Iowa. Michigan had its chance against Iowa. I understand it was on the road, but I think on paper given what they're returning, it's a totally solid team. I mean, it's not Ohio State and you know, looking at the schedule, I think they at Iowa, at Northwestern, at Ohio State, at Michigan State. I mean, those are of those four games, I would be 0% surprised if Penn State lost two or three of them. So, I'm going to take them seriously in, until they lose those games because they've earned it. They've they've beaten some really good teams. They won the Big 10 even though I don't think they were the best Big 10, best team in the Big 10, and they return a lot of talent. I'm not saying they're going to win the national title, but to right. be a hair better than Michigan right now, I think is totally fair because Michigan has its own questions to answer. I don't. Yeah, let me. I, I can get in here now with that one because I don't know how you could look at these two teams on paper. Again, the game's not played on paper. And the one thing, I, you know, here's where I understand where Michigan fans are coming from. If you had a, you know, Michigan has a huge coaching advantage. Uh, Joe Moorhead's an awesome offensive coordinator. I think his impact is probably what is the main driver behind. Penn State success with their offense turning it on. Uh, you look at how Michigan struggled to score against Wisconsin last year, and then you look at how Penn State came back against Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, that w- I thought their game against Wisconsin was easily the most impressive performance of the year, more so than Ohio State. Uh, the Ohio State game was what a night game against a tough team on the road kind of turns into, uh, and Penn State made a uh, a couple more plays and won that game. But the way they came back against Wisconsin, whose defense was excellent all season, uh, was really impressive. So, you know, I get it. I think Michigan, you know, obviously I think almost anybody would take Jim Harbaugh over James Franklin. Uh, and I under, I see that as being, in some maybe people's minds, it's sort of an equalizer in that regard because Penn State's roster on paper is right now is better than Michigan's. It's just hard to, uh, I don't know how you could argue otherwise. Uh, maybe Michigan's ceiling is higher, I guess, because they have a ton of young. Oh, I, I'd agree with that, yeah. And, and uber talented guys who really, you know, it's hard to really pick who could break out from Michigan this year because there really are so many players who could. Uh, but it's all unknown. Right? Those are all unknowns right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm right with you though. I don't, I don't think they're going to win the big time this year. No. Uh, but I don't think they're going to fall flat on their face either. Uh, I, again, look at history. I have a hard time picking Michigan to win that game right now. It's going to take something pretty, it's going to take something for me to change my mind on that too. I mean, Michigan, when's the last time Michigan beat a good opponent on the road? It's been forever. Uh, and you're, it's going to be at night. Happy Valley is a difficult place to play no matter how bad or how, you know, poor Penn state is, but they're not going to be bad or poor. They're going to be a very good football team. So, um, I'm pretty much as far as like my expectations for Penn State are pretty similar to yours, Zach. I think they'll probably slip up once or twice this year against a quality opponent. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as of now, like in the power rankings, there's no way you could justify putting Michigan above them. There's just not. I mean, there's just no way you could right now. So, um, you know, we could talk about it again in a month after we've seen yeah. both these. Oh, teams I'll on happily the field. admit I was wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Me too. I mean, it, it is what it is, but on paper right now, uh, you can't not take Penn State seriously, which goes back to the original question. Isaiah, you are you you have Penn State going ten and two, but you're kind of on everyone else's side that you don't think this is a you think there is a little bit more of a flash in the pan with the Nittany Lions than than maybe we're we're thinking that it was. I'm not buying the hype, but I have them potentially winning more games than than either of you. Um, right, like I might whole, say nine and three right now. <laughs> the I'm not buying the hype because I look at them kind of being more in line with a 2011 Michigan uh, in that, it, like you said, flash in the pan. They they did what they did last season for basically half a season. Uh, Trace McSorley was a huge unknown to basically any team that played him. And yeah, sure, he played with a lot of confidence in the end. I think some of the wins, not Wisconsin. Wisconsin was a pretty was a pretty big win for them, but. Like I look at the the USC game particular particularly, I think USC is probably overhyped, and I think that part of their overhyped train comes from having beaten Penn State. 
I, not to say that USC won't be good. I just think that, you know, we're back in USC's world beaters and USC beat Penn State, therefore they're really world beaters. And Penn State by transitive property is also basically that team. And I think that it's a bit premature. I want to see it again before I sit there and say, all right, Penn State's for real. I can't disagree with the idea of, like, on paper, you look at the the rosters and everything, and, and you say, all right, well, Penn State's bringing back some really good guys, wide receivers, say, Blacknell, Deshaun Hamilton, Mike Kosicki's an amazing tight end, should be a uh, Mackie, uh, Mackie consideration uh, for his receiving prowess. Saquon Barkley, the thing with him is, yes, he's the best player probably in the Big Ten, but he has games where he just kind of disappears. Uh, two years in a row against Michigan – for the most part, uh, had one big run in that 2015 game and then disappeared. wasn't uh, wasn't really a factor last year. Had a couple other games last year where he wasn't really that much of a factor. Will he take that big step forward? He really has a target on his back this year compared to the previous two, and that's kind of a microcosm for the entire Penn State team. They've got a target on their back. They've got film out there now. Uh, people are going to have a better idea of how to try to defend Trace McSorley. Uh, and right now I would have them favored to beat Michigan, but I wasn't surprised last year when Michigan beat them. I thought it was going to be a much closer game than it was. And one of the things that I look at is just from a personnel standpoint, Michigan's just seems like a generally bigger and bigger, faster team. Uh, Penn state's a fast team and, and everything, but just looking at them from a field level standpoint, like I had the opportunity uh, opportunity to do last year, since I do the games from the oh, sideline. Oh yeah, I remember you mentioned this. Yeah, it's it, I I can't necessarily say that that's going to be the case this year. Michigan's got a lot of youth that probably is a little bit more of an equalizer as well. But yeah, I'm not necessarily going to buy the hype. I do think they are probably a ten and two, nine and three type team. Uh, think think we'll see them maybe lose a game that they're not supposed to. Uh, people are going to be more prepared for them, and I want to see how they handle that before I anoint them to be one of the best teams in the conference, for sure. I remember last year, Steve, I remember this, because, like, didn't I predict that, uh, like, a 31-3, to or maybe even 31 to nothing win, and through, like, a half or so, that's exactly what was happening, and then they eventually scored a couple, got a couple scores, but, no, I... Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, to me, when I have this discussion, it's kind of like, okay, I'm ready for the season to start. You know, I love the summer, uh, but I, I do want to see these teams a little bit and actually actually have some understanding. Uh, another question we got before we head into the storylines, Bleed Blue One asked us, this is an interesting one, what is the biggest surprise, in your opinion, with this fall camp? I don't know. I got a, I got a couple that I'm deciding between. So Isaiah, how about we have you go first? Uh, for me, it's the story we broke a couple days ago of uh, Nolan Ulysio, but getting the starting right tackle job. He's a guy that none of us were talking about, and I think in retrospect that was probably pretty foolish because I went back when I after I had uh, heard from my source that that was most likely the case before they confirmed that it was in fact. I started going through some of the stories that we had on the offensive line over the course of the summer and. And just throughout, and it seemed like in every single one that Nolan Ulysio was the first guy mentioned. Uh, he was the first guy out of Ben Bredesen's mouth a couple weeks ago when we asked him uh, at availability who, who's been standing out on the, uh, on the right side of the line. First guy he said is Nolan Ulysio. He, he said him in the same breath as John Runyon Jr., but then went on to talk about how Nolan's really matured, and then the follow-up questions were more, well, what has John Runyon done? Because everyone – Seemed to have a thought it was a foregone conclusion that uh, it was a two-man race between Runyon and Bushel Beatty, and didn't end up being the case. So I think this is a great situation for the sake of good for Ulysio. He's a guy that has such a high upside, uh, was, a, was a player that came in as a two-star, three-star back, uh, back right after Jim Harbaugh was hired, uh, committed to Michigan in uh, January 25th, 2015, right before National Signing Day. Uh, was a guy that Tim Drevno just saw as a saw as like a, a project, but as a guy that could really come in and make a huge impact. And apparently he's doing that pretty quickly because I don't think it's a knock. His winning the job is a knock on Runyon. I think that it speaks a lot to Ulysio's maturity and his ability to uh, 
to turn into the right tackle that uh, Michigan was hoping he could. Steve, how about you? How about Quiddy Pay? Yeah, I. Who knows if he's even going to play this year? Uh, it sounds like Ruben Jones has made a lot of strides at defensive end, and I'm guessing that Luigi Villain is probably ahead of him still at this point. But the fact that Pay is even being mentioned as a guy who could see some snaps this year, I think is not only surprising, but I think it's awesome for him. I think he was a really uh, raw prospect, uh, you know, coming out of Rhode Island. You watch him on film, you could see the athleticism, but you could see it with a lot of other guys that Michigan's recruited. Uh, but he had that, uh, you know, that, that just, it was just more pure raw athleticism and less maybe about his football acumen. The fact that he's being mentioned in his snaps and as a guy that we were told about a couple times as a guy who was really, uh, the coaches really love and they really like what he's brought to the table and fall camp. Uh, that's great news for Michigan. I don't know how much, I don't know if there's a guy necessarily that was, is that you'd want to hear that about out of that class, just for the simple fact that having a multitude of pass rushers is so important in college football. Uh, and that he's a guy that I would probably even say myself, he would have been an easy pick to say, well, he's going to outplay his ranking because he's from a small state and Don Brown liked him. You know, that's easy thing to say. But even when you look at that class as a whole, you know, he's one of those guys you look at and say, well, if they get something out of him, that's a great, that's a win. You know, I mean, look at all the other guys they recruited on the defensive line, you know, and, and to hear him as a guy that could potentially play this year. I mean, that's, you know, Michigan, the, the future on the defensive line is, it's white, bright, white light, bright, or however the brightest bright you could think of. Uh, you know, if a guy like that is somebody who's one of the guys stepping up early on, just because you you can't have enough guys like that. Um, Don Brown mentioned him again th- yesterday too. Yeah, you get into the third quarter, fourth quarter, and you got another guy that can throw out there, or you got a guy who's still fresh because they've been throwing other guys out there on the edge. Uh, you can't quantify how valuable that is uh, in the second half in a big game. So uh, I, I would choose him uh, and maybe actually kind of the other guys, probably Ruben Jones, just because we didn't really hear much about him early on in fall camp, uh, but he's now been mentioned consistently and was a guy that we reported on uh, first last week as being a guy that was really challenging behind Chase Winovich. So uh, probably the two guys at defense then. Yeah, the, the defensive line depth and, and also Ulysio are two that I don't know if I just like, as Isaiah kind of alluded to, maybe we just weren't paying enough attention. But uh, certainly the last couple weeks, you know, Don Brown, one thing that stood out to me yesterday is, you know, and Jordan Glasgow talked about it last week, too. And Mike McCray earlier this week about how apparently that defense, they just like hit a new gear. The light just I mean, I know it's coach speak, but something changed and, and they're actually starting to look like a real game-ready defense. My biggest surprise is kind of probably a silly one because I've been on this train since January, but is how much praise and how genuine it seems out of this young wide receiver core. I mean, I, you know, because didn't I mention it a couple weeks ago, I think the wide receiver core will not see a drop-off this year, which is kind of a bold take given who they're replacing. But it's like, man, it's like everybody, I don't know if like they, they were instructed to, like if this if they were to said like, hey, if you don't know what to say, talk about the, how good the wide receivers are or what. But it's like every, even when not prompted and not asked and not even in the position group, everybody's got to say like, oh man, they just keep, keep making these wow factor plays. And, and it's not terribly surprising because they have some pretty highly rated recruits in the past two classes there, but it's it's definitely, it makes me do a double take or a, a double listen. I, I My ears perk up, there's the phrase, you know, when, it's, when it just happens over and over and over. And so, you know, you knew someone was going to emerge as starters, but it sounds like, it sounds like they're actually going to have a little bit of trouble getting everyone the amount of snaps that they deserve. Like, it sounds like they're actually going to have to do 
a bit more of a rotation than than maybe people expected because so many guys are just that game ready. I mean, I don't know if this this isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing or what, but like you know, Mo Ways hardly gets a mention anymore because, and I know he's battled some injuries throughout his career, but you know, it's just there's other guys that are just doing their their thing right now, and it's so that's that's probably stood out the most to me. Again, I I've been kind of on that train so it's not much of a surprise but i'm surprised that it happens as much and as frequently as it has we'll see how it goes uh so we're gonna switch over we're gonna do a little bit of recruiting and this will be a more prominent part of our podcast in the ensuing weeks but we've got a you know michigan's got a really really big opponent this week and recruiting is just starting to heat up for the fall but we'll get things started question from oh, Via Azul again, uh, which I found out means go blue in Spanish. So now we know. Uh, do you think most staffs have someone who subscribes to all the recruiting sites to pass on key info? For example, when a recruit is interviewed and says that he hasn't heard from, from a particular staff recently or that team A and B are recruiting him the hardest, I think that's relevant info to have. Not asking specifically about Michigan per se, but in general, uh, Steve, I will let you get to that in just a moment. But, you know, September 1st is the first day schools can contact recruits. And in the you know months before that, it's a little bit of a it's a little trickier than that. So, Steve, I think I know the answer. But uh, what do you say to Vias Azul? And also, uh, what do you what what is the significance of this se- September 1st, uh, I guess, change in the recruiting calendar? Uh, to answer his first question, to the first part of it, yes. I would assume, I think most, if not all staffs, probably read what we're posting. Uh, I'd be shocked if that's not the case. Uh, as far as the hasn't heard from a particular staff, that type of stuff, Michigan already, the Michigan and, again, most schools, they they know probably who they're recruiting, I guess, so... Like, they know if they're not recruiting player X as hard as, like, I don't know, like Notre Dame or something like that. So they're usually in the know as far as that type of stuff goes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. Definitely think that most subscribe to some website. I would assume ours is one of them. And then they hear... Yeah, the particular staff stuff, they already they already know that information. They don't need us or they don't need whoever, whatever market uh, or who they're reading to really know most of the time uh, who's maybe recruiting a guy the hardest. Um, if they're not recruiting him hard, they don't want him. So, um, you know, that's kind of the way I look at that. Yeah, and with the so that's the junior prospects they can legally contact tomorrow. Haven't could not say this enough times before yesterday before tonight at midnight. It is on the prospect to contact the school. So when a prospect says that schools A, B, and C are recruiting him hardest, that means that he is contacting schools A, B, and C. Unless schools A, B, and C are finding different ways to contact him, which again we know that happens, but not all schools play by that book. So. Um, you know, always noteworthy. My thing is this, you know, Michigan's offered, I don't know how many kids in the 19 class at this point, probably the be- biggest thing for me, uh, we'll probably find out like who has a committable offer and who doesn't at this point already. I'm sure there are some guys they've offered that they probably really aren't recruiting that hard. Um, you know, again, my goal tomorrow, or uh, like, I'm not staying up until midnight to see who they contact. Like we, you just look at the top targets list. Just look at the offer list. Like it's going to be those guys. Right. So, I'm not going to waste my time uh, on the eve of a big game like uh, with that minutia, you know. Uh, so those guys are all going to get contacted. The dare I say the Devonte Dobbs types guy type guys are going to get contacted, you know. <laughs> and and it's uh, it's not a story. It's not important at this point. It's just a matter of knowing that they're still recruiting the guy. Uh, to me, it's like you know maybe a new name will pop up. Maybe they'll send out some offers tomorrow. Uh, that's kind of one of the things I always look for. And uh, yeah, I think there was a guy on Twitter, like, you know, if Harbaugh contacts him, will there be a kid who will instantly commit tomorrow if he gets a message from Harbaugh? It's like, what? Like, no. Like, that's not how it works. Like, 
if Harbaugh is, you know, Harbaugh on Twitter will, I'm sure they'll, he'll, his account will be contacting some kids and, you know, those are the same kids who are going to get a message from Kirby Smart and Urban Meyer and Clay Helton and James Franklin. So, no, they're not going to commit to Michigan sight unseen because one prominent head coach sent them a direct message on Twitter at 12.01. So, um, you know, yeah, my biggest thing is maybe they'll throw out some new offers tomorrow. Uh, and besides that, it's really uh, just about, like I said, I'll, I'll keep some track of, like, who they're contacting and stuff. Uh, you're not going to see 95 manual retweets on my account tomorrow morning, uh, you know, uh, showing every single kid that they've contacted. Many of them won't even tweet or, or make note that Michigan or anybody uh, contacted them. So new names on the board maybe, and the ones they've offered that maybe I already kind of have an idea they're not recruiting anymore, that they're not that interested in, if, if any of those guys don't uh, publicize contact I guess. So that's, that's really what I look for. It's a noteworthy day just in the idea that in my opinion, most 2019 recruitments really begin tomorrow because now you can contact them. Now there's no loopholes or rules as far as electronic communication. Um, you know, in a lot of instances, these kids will find out who really wants them starting tomorrow. So uh, yeah, interesting from that standpoint, another i don't know relatively important day i guess in the recruiting yeah. calendar one of many but yeah so that's that's pretty much about it in my end okay well we'll keep the recruiting to that for now steve's gonna have tons of updates now well, maybe not tons but he'll have updates throughout the week uh and then yeah, don't all put that f- pressure on yeah me i was gonna say they, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah they contacted him, him and he's and he's really uh, interested in no michigan way. and he wants to visit for a game this year there you go i just got you about 50 free updates right there so isaiah's uh, gonna have a 50 minute documentary about the trip to dallas on monday uh yeah no just kidding uh, right, but, you know. yeah but we will have more recruiting as that unfolds we're gonna put it probably around the around the middle of the podcast uh, but let's move on to Florida, because it is probably the bigger storyline this week. Michigan versus Florida. Uh, if you haven't heard by now, I, I'm, I'd be amazed if you were listening to the podcast and you haven't heard. But Florida now has 10 players suspended. Uh, rumors that maybe one or two more, or maybe even more, will come through. But we're going to operate under the assumption that it's still at 10. And B-O-O-X-T-007 said, looking forward to the game against Florida. How do you think the suspensions have impacted the, well, the game mentality of the Wolverines? Meaning, do you think, all right, we'll get to that in a second, but his first part, how do you think the suspensions have an impact on this game? It's it's a lot, it's a few storylines, right? Because obviously Florida is missing about one-eighth of their scholarship players or or of their guys that that, that might make the travel roster uh, Antonio Callaway and Jordan Scarlett are obviously the big two. They're their leading receiver, their best return man, and their best running back. So it's kind of, it almost, I mean, you never, you, saying must win is kind of a silly statement in college football because if you are trying to be a good top 10 team, they are all must wins. But suddenly this, this isn't like a game Michigan can necessarily bounce back from if it, if it throws up an L Steve, I guess from, from your, you know, on the surface, how does this change what this game can or will mean to Michigan in the scope of the season? Well, especially for a team so young, uh, a win is a win is a win is a win is a win. Uh, it doesn't matter who's playing on the other side. Florida is still a quality opponent. Uh, it's not like, their front seven is still there. It's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I do think it puts more pressure on Michigan to win. I don't think you can, like, if you could take their whole roster and choose two players, who would take these two players off the roster who gives Michigan a better chance to win? I, I don't know how you don't choose Callaway and Jordan Scarlett. Uh, because I think the bigger challenge for Florida is going to be manufacturing points. And those two guys were by far their best shots to do that. Uh, whether it was Callaway or Scarlett more so, I mean, I think both of those guys were 
are the two guys that I think Florida fans and, and pundits or whoever are, were, are bank, were, are, however, we'll see, you know, how many games these guys play. We're banking on to kind of be their breakout stars offensively and maybe break the funk that Florida's kind of faced on offense for the last, you know, who knows how long. How long has it been since Florida's had like a dangerous offense, right? So, um, I think Urban Meyer was think, the coach. That's what I mean. It's yeah. been a long time. You know, and a lot of that's because of quarterback play, but this is whoever is playing quarterback for this year for them would have a lot more help than they've had in the past with guys like Callaway and guys like Scarlett. I mean, both of those guys are potential all SEC type players with Callaway, I think being talked about as an all American candidate. So um, I think that's, I don't think you can understate how big of an impact that those two guys specifically will have uh, on this game. I think it makes life easier for the Michigan defense. It doesn't make life, you know, I don't think, again, I don't think this is a, a blowout. I don't think Michigan just runs them out of the building. Uh, but I do think it definitely increases the odds of a, of a comfortable Michigan victory. Uh, I just don't see how, they man- how, how Florida can consistently manufacture first downs and sustain drives uh, without Scarlett or Callaway. Yeah, was, uh, yeah. You know, that's my biggest thing. And, and really, I had back in the spring before either of these two guys were suspended is I look at Callaway as the guy, especially look at Michigan's situation at cornerback, uh, you know, and Nussmeyer loves to throw deep early in the game. You know, those are confidence booster type plays. And Callaway was the one guy, I mean, they might have, I think Tyree Cleveland's a really good player um, on the mm-hmm. outside, but yeah. Callaway's a guy that could take the top off of the Michigan defense and then, uh, then open things up for them to maybe run the ball, you know, effectively. Now it's not certain in that regard. Uh, so I, you know, it could be a situation where Michigan feels comfortable with their front seven being able to defend the run, and not having to bring so many defensive backs up consistently. So uh, I think it, there's no doubt it has an impact. I mean, I don't, you know, you see the Vegas line jumped two points, which a little bit less than I thought. Actually, I thought it may jump a little bit more. Um, but again, I think Florida's defense is more than capable still of keeping them in the game. So uh, definitely an impact. Who knows? You know, I, I know we were talking about it off off the air before we got on. There may be more guys suspended. I mean, they're, yeah. they're talking about that right now. Yeah. Who knows who the heck is next? You know, so uh, again, because of that, I do. I think the pressure's on Michigan to win this game. Now, it was a, it was one of those marquee, who knows type matchups. I think in the spring, but you look at them on paper now. You look at the way this game, the way the storylines are playing out. It's hard not to say Michigan doesn't have a little bit more pressure on them to win this. Game. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. I mean, Brandon Powell, Tyree Cleveland. Uh, Michael P. Ryan. I mean, running backs and receivers are kind of replaceable, but both of those guys, Scarlett and Callaway, I think, as you said, Florida was really banking on them. You know, it'd be kind of like Michigan losing Chris Evans and, I don't know, Donovan Peoples-Jones or Tyrone Wheatley. I mean, you know, the offense suddenly has a little less going for it. Defense should be fine. And, you know, they still got CeCe Jefferson. They still got Jabari Zuniga. They still got... Duke Dawson and Chauncey Gardner, you know, they've still got a little less at the linebacker core, but, you know, David Reese, Kylan Johnson, Bashan Joseph, I mean, they're still probably a top 20 team, even without uh, the depth and maybe without Callaway and Scarlett. And Isaiah, uh, to, to Book's 007's second part of the question, you know, is Michigan, is overconfidence an issue? I mean, we, you know, that tends to happen in college football is that you know there's this big game that you're really really excited for and then suddenly I mean 10 players I don't know the last time Michigan faced a team with 10 suspended players you know it could be very easy to start thinking oh maybe this game won't be as hard as 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 we thought uh you know Isaiah having talked to the coaches yesterday before the suspensions but also you know having a good pulse on the team is this something Michigan needs to be wary of? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 like this, where especially you know Michigan's already ranked 11th overall. They were already favored before all these suspensions hit. You know, there's obviously there's a lot of guys out there, Barrett Salee, and some some out there that are saying that they expect Florida to roll regardless, and blah blah blah, SEC speed, but. There's probably a lot more say that they expect this, you know, Jim Harbaugh coach team, as young as they might be, to be able to go in there and take care of business. So, how much when you hear that 
the guy the guy that just said that he was going to be able to essentially run all over you because your you know your defensive line didn't have that that speed that they <laughs> that they are, need to be able to to take you out don't know why he said gone. that yeah <laughs> like like do you like how do you how do you look at that game i mean michigan's going to have to go in with a killer instinct they can't mm-hmm. lose that edge because that might be a way that Florida could take advantage of them because they're going to have to have that mental focus. And those are, that's what we've heard about this team for the last couple weeks, especially the last week or two, is that they've had that mental focus. But, well, you better hope that they didn't lose it yesterday when they heard that Jordan Scarlett was out. Yeah. Because they probably, they probably were foaming at the mouth when they heard him say it. Now he's gone. It's kind of like, well, ha-ha. So <laughs> you hope that they aren't sitting there reading their own press in a lot of ways and that they're not, you know, if they are, that they're not buying into their own hype because that can definitely happen. That's something when I talked to Channing Stribling last year, after he, uh, this past summer, actually, uh, he talked about how they were, they started to buy into their own hype a little bit for some of those games. So that, that Michigan state game, they came out flat because they were like, Oh, well, we're going to, we're going to be able to do this. Where that's this is no problem. Michigan State punched them in the mouth right out the gates, and that wasn't something they were expecting. You wouldn't expect that in a rivalry game, but that just goes to show we're dealing with young adults here. We're not dealing with professionals. Yeah. So they have to be able to go out there with that killer instinct. They're going to have to go out there, like Steve said. There, they have to. The pressure's on them now, and it's on them because they cannot lose their focus. That this is still Florida. It doesn't matter that. All these players are out. They still have Martez Ivy. They still have CC Jefferson. They still have Jabari Zuniga, Duke Dawson, right on down that list that was mentioned earlier. They're still going to have to be able to go out there and execute, and they're still going to have to actually that the the big battle is going to be in the trenches now, especially. Oh yeah. Because since Florida lost those skill position players, you better believe that they're going to be trying to to run uh, Pirine uh, off of Martez Ivy. And Michigan's defense has to be able to fight and scrap with a, a five-star to be able to stop that. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, it's gonna be a, in my opinion, it might even be a tougher game now because Florida's going to be relying so heavily on being able to, to get pressure up front from the defensive side and even more so now to be able to get into that second level on the offensive side. Will they be able to do it? I don't know, but that's, that's a huge difference in this game and the way that it's going to be played. Well, yeah, and how much harder do you think CC Jefferson and Jabari Zuniga are going to play now? Now, I mean, they're kind of like a like an animal that's cornered. You know, it's suddenly they've they've got to really really fight because they aren't going to have other opportunities to be bailed out. And I I am curious though because Isaiah, I mean, you you mentioned overconfidence as a concern, and I made this argument earlier today that. You know, one thing that's really going to help Michigan avoid overconfidence, at least in my opinion in in these early games, is that there are a lot of very unproven players. I mean, if, you know, I'm not, again, not suggesting that this will happen, but if someone like David Long comes out flat, they're going to be much more inclined to replace him than, say, if Jordan Lewis had come out flat in a game last season. I mean, the leash, there's a lot fewer players that have earned a long leash or have proven themselves as the solid starter. I mean, you could, you could go down the list, you know, if Devin Bush is suddenly blowing his assignments and, and, and messing up, Michigan will be more inclined to replace him than say they were with Mike McCray or Ben Gideon last year. And so Steve, I want to get your thoughts on this, you know, in, in, in this situation, and I know the youth card is very overplayed, but is Michigan, you know, is their youth almost a benefit because it's such a big stage? You know, it's it, someone who really, really took a lot of time to think it all in and think about the suspensions and think about that. You know, I could see where, where the mental factor becomes comes a detriment, but these guys are still fighting for their jobs in a lot of cases. Do you, I mean, is that is that how you gauge it? And do you think that they can get past the uh, potential overconfidence hurdle? Yeah, I think your last point is is the meaningful one. That a lot of these guys are the other ones weren't. You know, I, well, the fall. Oh, yeah, no, I know. Oh, you I mean. Didn't, <laughs> fall camp, fall camp's over, but that doesn't mean the competition's over in a lot of these areas, right? So I think that's going to carry them through 
uh, you know, a lot of these guys don't, you know, have a good memory. They don't forget how last year finished out, right? They don't want to come out against the quality. They're not playing Hawaii to begin the year here. Uh, I think there's still a lot to prove. I look at Spade as a guy specifically. You think he's going to come into this game overconfident? Because I don't. Uh, he's probably, you know, I think these guys, I don't know if they're sitting there on their phones, you know, scrolling through every comment section, but I'm sure he's heard his share of how he can't win the big game already. I think we can uh, confirm he's heard it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he hasn't heard that. So you don't, there's no way, uh, in my opinion, that, that especially and a guy like him, who is the leader of the offense, too, which is important, that he's going to come out, you know, overconfident because a couple guys or, you know, a few, you know, uh, contributors for Florida got suspended. So, and, uh, yeah, the youth, maybe they don't know any better, right? I think they'll come in with their hair on fire. Uh, you mentioned Bush. I think a Bush specifically is a guy who I think is going to come in and is going to want to make a huge impact. You know, I think, you know, for a lot of these guys, it's, it, it, it even sometimes kind of goes beyond, the fact that they're still competing and, and competing for for string or whatever, it's more about this is a national stage. You look at your guy like you, Tariq Black, you wake up on Saturday morning and you think, you know, if I play my heart out, I could be a household name by the end of this by the end of the day today, right? Yeah. And I think guys these guys are all alpha males. They all have been uh they all kind of carry that type of chip on their shoulder. And uh, you know, I think with as talented as some of these young players are for Michigan you know, I think it's, it's uh, you know, the team, the team, the team is always going to be the mantra, but these guys also know that they have a chance to really establish themselves individually too. So uh, I don't, I don't think overconfidence is going to be a, a factor in this game. Uh, you know, I just, this is why Harbaugh gets paid the big bucks. Uh, yeah, maybe they got a little ahead of themselves in a couple games last year, but here's the thing this is one of those things where these are Harbaugh's guys now. And I think that may make, I think that it might be, that might be one of those areas where you maybe do see a little bit of a difference yeah. uh, is that these guys are all, you know, they know what type of character they're recruiting. Now they know what types of guys they targeted and who they like. And I, you know, I mean, we've gotten to know Devin Bush jr. I, I got to know him pretty well recruiting and, and he's, you know, spoken to the media. Mm-hmm. I don't look at him as a guy who's going to come into a game, any game overconfident. I look at him as a, as a type of guy who's going to come into a game, and uh, he wants to tear somebody's head off, you know, for a lack of a better term. And uh, so, and this is a, you know, again, a national stage and a great opportunity for a lot of these young guys uh, to prove themselves in front of millions of people. So, uh, yeah, again, biggest reason though is because of Spate. Yeah, there's no way he's going to come in overconfident. And he's got he, I know him enough, covered him long enough. I know he feels like he's got a ton to prove, and he's a very, he's cognizant of the doubters perceptions. I mean, it's the same reason, you know, I think it's what drove him to win the starting job last year. I think a lot, you know, as a guy that nobody ever talked about. And I think he takes that type of stuff to heart. So, yeah. Well, Hey, let's get through, let's do three predictions. This is our, this will be a weekly segment, three bold predictions. So obviously they're not going to be insanely bold, but you know, have a little imagination with them. And then, and then we'll do MVP predictions and then score predictions, and we'll and we'll see how we do. Uh, I can start. I can do the three bold predictions. I think number one, Felipe Franks will not do that poorly. Uh, I'll say 200 yards and a passer rating of oh gosh, I don't know what the what a good passer rating is. Let's say 140 at the, on that scale that goes up to 200, or not 200, but like you know the an average good performance is like 180. Um, but I think he'll be just fine. I, I think there's a lot of Michigan fans out there when he was named the starter. You know, even they were foaming at the mouth uh, because it's been a long off season. And also he's a freshman without his number one receiver. But, you know, talking to people that cover Florida regularly, they, Florida really, really likes what they have at receiver. It's kind of like what Michigan might have next year. They like they feel that kind of good about it. Uh, they've got pretty much everybody back other than Callaway. You know, we talked about Tyree Cleveland. You know, we talked about Brandon Powell. I mean, they've got really good guys. And I think I think Franks is someone who he's a lot better than I think the narrative suggests. You know, if it's a redshirt freshman, he'll, you know, I don't think he's going to be that wide-eyed. You know, he, he was kind of recruited for this moment. 
this game was kind of, I mean, I'm sure it was circled on his schedule a year ago, you know, and I think, I think he's really a talented quarterback. I mean, he was a top 50, maybe he's like 54th in that 2016 class, but he's talented. I think he's ready for it. And I think, I think he's actually got the tools around him for success. Um, so I think he's going to do all right. That said, my number two bold prediction, six sacks for Michigan Wolverines. Uh, I think I think that offensive line of Florida's is solid, but I just I just without Scarlett to kind of offset things, I think it's going to be I think they're going to be really gunning to do, make some noise in the pass rush. Plus, we talked about the defensive line depth has really come together especially in the last week or so. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we've mentioned this on pretty much every podcast. It's very hard to double-team one of those guys because someone else can get you. Uh, that will pretend into my MVP in a moment. Uh, my other prediction is, oh gosh, I should have thought about it a little bit further ahead, but I'm going to say Chris Evans has his breakout game. I think this is this is a game. I mean, he's had a breakout game before, but I think this is the one where the the hype train for him really takes off. I think, you know, I think Michigan's offensive line has its head on its shoulders. It's it's tied on, you know, screwed on right, whatever the whatever the phrase is. And I think while Florida has a strong run defense and a strong pass rush, I think they they are going to find some success bumping Evans to the outside. I think once he gets to the second level, I think he'll be able to make some big plays. And I don't want to, I'm not going to, I guess I can put a number on him. I'll say 125 all-purpose yards or more. Um, I don't know if that's that bold or not, but he's he's my pick on the offense to kind of assert himself. Uh, and I think this is going to be a really big game for him. I think he's he's ready for it. I think, you know, he's similar to Frank's. He's had this game circled for a while now, you know, as as his his time and his opportunity, probably since that touchdown run against Florida State. Uh, I think he's ready for it, and I think Michigan knows what they're doing with him a little bit better this season. I think he'll have a lot of, you know, chances to bump things outside, maybe catch some passes in the flats. And so, so he's not my MVP, but I predict he has a breakout game. My MVP will be Chase Winovich. I think Martez Ivy will probably keep Rashawn Gary relatively in check. But I think Chase Winovich, we we saw him last year. He played, you know, second string snaps and got five and a half sacks. I think, you know, I don't know what he'll do in full full time snaps, but I think in this game, he's gonna have a big, big opportunity. Again, I expect Florida to now pass more without Scarlett. I think Scarlett's a even though Callaway's a better player. I think Scarlett's a worse loss for them because suddenly they don't have a running back they can necessarily lean on for 20, 25 carries. And I think that results in them trying to air it out a little bit more. And I think Chase Winovich takes advantage. You know, I think we've talked about it. He's he's kind of the one of the forgotten guys on that line. But he is very, very efficient, arguably one of the nation's most efficient at getting to the quarterback uh, Isaiah, we'll let you go next. Three bold predictions and your MVP. All right. I'm actually going to go kind of the opposite of one of yours. Uh, I think that you're going to see sub-200 passing game from Felipe Franks. Uh, I've And I think that's a lot of that's going to have to do with the Michigan secondary stepping up to the challenge. Uh, I kind of have spoken the last couple of days about that, that mid-season form comment that Harbaugh has been making all week being – Kind of the kind of the primer to Mike Zordich's comments from last week about not be, you know coming along fast enough. I think that we that the uh, criteria is different than what a lot of people think uh, for the secondary, and I I can see a, a scenario where they try to go at some guys. Obviously, everyone back there is essentially unproven. Uh, I can see a scenario where you see uh, see them go at guys like Levert Hill and. Uh, you see the secondary make them pay. Uh, so I'm going to say sub 200 yards from Felipe Franks. Uh, wasn't This is, I know, two years removed, but I wasn't super impressed with him at the Army All-American game and the, the entire uh, entire week uh, back at the beginning of 2016. Spent a week with uh, 
him. Uh, and of the six uh, quarterbacks, he was my least favorite uh, out of all of them. Obviously, in a college program, that's going to change a guy dramatically. Uh, he's gotten older, and I'm sure a lot more mature. He obviously just won a really hotly contested starting job. But uh, to me, that was the guy that if, if you're a Michigan fan and if you're Don Brown, that's the guy you wanted to see. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to kill you with his arm. So I think that uh, when he does try, if, he, if he's off at all, especially with the kind of pressure that uh, Michigan should be able to get up front, uh, regardless of uh, Martez Ivy, like you said, that Chase Winovich is probably going to have a pretty big game. Uh, I think Mo Hurst will have a really big game. Uh, that will uh, that could propel Michigan secondary to to be able to in turn uh, silence a, a few critics. I think they're pretty cognizant, obviously, as well of uh, the criticism there. Uh, secondly, I think on the other side of the ball, uh, I think uh, I got kind of a little bit of a debate going on on uh, my morning hole-in-three column about uh, what's to be expected of a Pep Hamilton offense, uh, not just throwing out the, the four or five wide receiver sets out of thin air. It's something that we've heard that uh, Michigan has been toying with. I think that we'll see it in this game. I think we, we're going to see they have so much talent. Uh, I think they're going to want to get them all out on the field and say, defend it. I'm not saying that that's going to be their bread and butter because it's. I guarantee it's not going to be. But when when you can get four, five wide receivers out there, or like you know four wide, three wide receivers and Chris Evans, and say all right, defend us in space, then I you know I think they're going to try to take advantage of that. And I think that's kind of part of the point of bringing Greg Fry in and to be able to have those zone concepts is so that they can show you that look and say try and stop it. So I uh, think we'll see uh, a, a upwards of four receivers on the field, possibly a five receiver set uh, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, in that, I'm going to combine my MVP with my third bold. And I think that uh, I'm going to say three sacks for Maurice Hurst, who's going to be my game MVP. Uh, by all accounts, he's just been unblockable. I think, uh, I think they're going to find a way to get him into that, uh, into the backfield and, be able to make some big plays. I think he's just going to be an absolute disruptor. I, I can see a situation where he's just going to have to be double and triple teamed and that's going to free up the other guys. And that's going to, even though he, I'm saying he's going to have the three sacks and everything, I think it's going to make it so that you're, you know, you're going to be able to see those big plays for Winovich and you're going to be able to see uh, some plays for Rashawn, even though he's going up against uh, Ivy and probably their tight end as well. Uh, it's, it's kind of a great scenario for Michigan because they do have some guys that can really penetrate. And I think Mohurst is going to be the catalyst. All right, Steve, what you got for us? Three bold predictions. Uh, number one, I think the linebacker core has an awesome game. I don't really know how to quantify that, but I think they do. I think, you know, Jordan Scarlett took more snaps at running back than anybody else last year. And I know the other two, I think the other two guys that they, will feature now uh, P. Ryan and I, I think a Darius Lemons who like committed and decommitted from Florida like four times during the recruiting process. Uh, you need against the Don Brown defense, you need to have running backs that can help protect your quarterback. I don't think they're going to be able to do that. And I think they're going to exploit it by blitzing their linebackers more maybe than they would against obviously a team that has a running back who can block a linebacker. So <laughs> I think the Michigan linebackers are going to have a really big game Again, whether it's Hudson or Bush or or McCray, uh, I just think the unit as a whole is going to be incredibly effective uh, and maybe could be the difference in the game. So uh, that's my number one bold prediction. Number two, Florida's linebackers are pretty undersized. Uh, I think Michigan's tight ends will be a big have a big game. I think Tyrone Wheatley Jr. enters the scene tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, I think he catches. I think he gets about like 60 yards receiving and a touchdown, which I think is kind of bold. Uh, maybe not like uh, super bold, but it's mildly bold. So I'm going to go with it. And uh, I think he's effective against their linebackers or safeties, whoever they decide to line up. I mean, you, Michigan could throw out three wide, you know, and put Wheatley uh, in on the right side, help out Ulysio, which again is something else I totally expect to see. I expect to see a tight end on the right side of the line consistently on Saturday. Uh, 
then you're putting pressure on the safeties and the linebackers to make a decision. And uh, I think Wheatley can win those battles more effectively than uh, Bunting can too. Uh, but I think Wheatley's probably a more effective blocker. Uh, feel like he's come a long ways from everything I've heard. You know, he, he shedded the weight too, which is important because he was already a beast uh, physically. I mean, he's just like on Wenu, just not normal looking uh, from a physical standpoint. Uh, so I think he's I think he's effective. I think he has a pretty nice game for Michigan. Third one. I think Quinn Nordine also establishes himself as a legitimate kicking option for Michigan, which might not sound like much, but uh, Kenny Allen was really valuable to Michigan last year. I mean, outside of the Wisconsin game last year, he hit some real money kicks. Uh, realistically, he should have won the Ohio State game for him with a couple really nice field goals. So uh, I think Nordine has a really nice game in the kicking game. I think it gives Michigan a little extra boost. Uh, offensively. My MVP, I'm going to go with Wilton. I think, I don't think he's been talked about nearly enough. Uh, I know Michigan pretending that there's a quarterback battle doesn't help him in that situation, uh, but he was injured in all three of their games last year. Everyone's heard the story, you know, we've rehashed last season a billion times at this point, um, but I do. Uh, you the 20 pounds or 20 whatever pounds he lost this season off season is so indicative of the work he's been putting in and he was all he already had statistically had one of the best seasons last year uh at the quarterback position in the Big 10 uh yeah i know it wasn't against like high quality opponents every day but he still made a ton of excellent throws uh throughout the year i think he steps up i think he guides a young offense along uh, and, and I think he has a, a really good game. Now, I don't know. MVP to me is not the guy who has the best stats, I guess, necessarily. Uh, but I think he plays effectively. And I think at the end of the day, I think he's the primary reason why Michigan wins the game. All right. Wrapping up here at the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, we'll do quick score predictions. Uh, Isaiah, let's, ha- let's start with you. And if you want to justify it just a little bit, you can do that as well. 24-10 Michigan. Uh, this was going to be a 24-21 Michigan uh, if uh, everyone was healthy. Uh, not healthy, but uh, playing for Florida. But uh, those losses hurt them so so much offensively. Points are going to be at a premium for them. I think I have more faith in Michigan's ability to score points on a, on a good defense right now than I do Florida's. So 24-10 to 10 Michigan. All right, Steve, how about you? Uh... I'm saying, what did he say, 24 to 10? Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. That uh, is literally what I'm, I said on the air today, so i got to think right. about it. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm going to change it then. I'm going to say 27 to 14. I think maybe Florida gets in the end zone late or something. I just, when I first predicted this game, I said 20 to 17 Florida. Uh, but Michigan has a big advantage at quarterback. They have a big advantage on the sidelines, the coaching staffs, in my opinion. Uh, and they have... The one area that I always look at where they are at a disadvantage is special teams, which, again, I'm glad that one of, a couple of the readers, I did the three things thing this morning, and a few readers were thankful that I mentioned special teams, which I always try to make special teams a point because it's important. Michigan's dominated field position the last two years. It's not a certainty they can do that in this game. Oh, Johnny no. Townsend's one of the, yeah, Johnny Townsend's one of the best punters in the country. And then Pinheiro, you know, Nordine's got a big boot. Pinheiro probably has a bigger one. So, you know, Florida may stick around because they don't maybe have to get inside the 25 to score points. Like, Pinheiro may hit, like, four or five field goals for all I know. So, um, but I say yeah, 27 to 14, I think it's comfortable, too. I think Michigan's in relative control throughout the game. The only way they're not, and I wrote this in the three things, is if, because I know Frank's, Florida's going to give Franks a deep shot early. If he hits it, then it's going to be a game because that's such a big confidence booster for a young quarterback. So uh, it, you know, and I think the game will partially depend on how that goes. But I think Wilton uh, guides them to a 27 to 14 victory. All right. Since Isaiah snagged my exact score, I will try to differentiate a little bit. I'm going to say 24 to 13. I know it's not that different, but I think I think we're all on the same page. We don't think the offense, Michigan's offense, is gonna, you know, stomp all over Florida, um, but also we aren't counting on Florida getting a lot of points and and being that effective in the drives. I think 
I think both coaches would are perfectly content playing a boring, you know, slow-paced game, so I don't expect it to be, you know, a shootout or anything that wild. Uh, I, yeah, I'll say 24-13. I think Pinheiro, the one recruit rated higher than Nordine in 2016, he was a JUCO transfer, so it didn't quite count. But he's their kicker. Johnny Townsend averages 47.8 yards per punt, led the country in that last year. Um, I think I think it will. I don't think it's going to be especially comfortable for Michigan. Maybe until late. Like I I could see Michigan trailing at half or it being a tie game at halftime. That's that's my projection. Uh, so we got 24-10 from Isaiah, 28-14 from Steve, 24-13. From myself, we'll see what happens. We wouldn't watch the games if uh, if we were right all the time, though. So, so we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll be back next week. This has been the Wolverine twenty four seven podcast. Had a good time. Uh, got a lot more of these coming up. And now the off season talk is is not. It's all over now. Here on out, we'll have actual tangible football, real actual football to talk about. Anyway, for those two guys, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. You can read all of our stuff. We're going to have lots of preview stuff. Michigan.247sports.com. Be sure to hop on. Check everything out. Anyway, I hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you next time.